Blog Talk Radio. platform. This is a solutions-oriented talk radio show and podcast. Each broadcast, we usually dedicate about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. And I've said that we usually dedicate about 30 minutes, but this week we've had a series of amazing conversations, and tonight is no different. We're going to spend some time with a panel of women who are the mothers of, of beautiful black young women and girls, um, and we're going to dedicate the better part of an hour um, to just talk about um, what has often been referred to as the talk, the race talk, uh, one where we started out at the beginning of the week. Um, my daughter and I had book club, if you will, where we talked about James Baldwin's The Fire Next Time. If you haven't read The Fire Next Time, you'll see at the very beginning of The Fire Next Time, it's two, two parts, but I encourage you to go read it. There are these two parts, but the first is a letter to his nephew, and he sets the stage for who he must be as a young black man, and uh, that was Monday, and then on Tuesday, uh, you, we had a, a conversation with a author and commentator on race and politics, um, Mr. William Spivey, um, Spivey, sorry, and his, um, his, some of his writings on Medium.com, and uh, that was Tuesday. And last night, uh, an amazing conversation with a panel of black men and their and their comments of. Um, coming into manhood and that race conversation. Now, I can't take credit for tonight's broadcast. Um, I, originally, it was supposed to be a three-part series. And when I told my daughter about the, uh, the plan for the week, um, she challenged me, uh, and I should have known better because I'm father of only girls, and she challenged me that um, I should invite a group of women on to talk about similarly the talk that women have to have about race with their daughters. And so um, I have family and friends here tonight uh, with me to share with you their experiences, both personal experiences, but then the experiences uh, that they have um, with their girls. And so uh, welcome, ladies. Uh, we have from Alabama, we have uh, Tina from Alabama, we have uh, Linnell from Pennsylvania, uh, Quintina from Louisiana, um, we have Kim from Illinois, and Chantel from New York. So thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I, I, you know, this is just going to be a conversation, and I, um, you know, I had planned to um, share uh, a piece of uh, recent music that 
and I had shared with you before we went live, a piece of music that has been released, uh, Brown Skin Girl uh, by uh, Beyonce and others, that really struck me. Um, and we've, we've seen, um, certainly with now having our first uh, African-American vice president, a woman, um, and we, we've seen a lot of things with Michelle Obama and others uh, where black women have taken the spotlight and shown leadership, and that didn't happen easily over the years. And, and so I'm just proud and happy to be here um, with this distinguished panel and just want to open up with just asking you um, first and foremost um, your, your feelings about where we are today. Um, and I know there's been a lot, there's a lot that you could talk about because on, on one side we have the accomplishment uh, in one year of, of uh, Kamala Harris to become the vice president, but then we also have the tragedy of, of black women um, being killed um, and murdered by police officers like Breonna Taylor and others. Um, so I just want to open it up and let you talk a little bit about how, what it feels like right now um, in, in these troubling times to be a black woman. Well, I'll jump in. This is uh, Quintina um, from Louisiana. I am the mother of two daughters. Uh, one is 11 and one is 15. And so um, interesting to have girls that are, uh, you know, experienced this time. And, and to your question, what is it like? And one thing that I will say is they talk when they want to talk. And um, when you want to talk, they probably don't talk. But I would say one thing that I've learned is to create that time and space um, to be available and to be present when they're ready to talk. And I use that example simply as um, many times when you come in from work and um, you can have set routines and, or not, and so many times you can go straight to your room and just not be there. But I've learned to sit myself in the center of my home in the living area and just be there when they're ready to talk and push in sometimes when there are conversations that need to be had, even around what happened um, prior to the to the inauguration and, you know, that, that deadly day where we had the Capitol being bombed and just making myself present and available to push in and have talks that can help shape their thinking and their experiences, um, not only by my experiences, but also understanding where their perspective really matters and how I approach conversations with them. And so it's not always about my experience, but giving them, again, the time and space to approach these conversations from their perspective. And more often than not, I'm listening and then trying to help shape or guide um, their understanding of situations. So I'll pause so that other mm -hmm. people can have an, an opportunity to speak. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank so you. Thank you for that. Alabama, um, and I just want to say that yeah, the the accomplishments and the positions that we are seeing our black women in today are great. However, 
it just is very disheartening, but it's, it's real that we are still having to have the same conversations uh, that um, m- my mother, my grandmother had with me, you know, 50, 60 years ago. And so I just want to thank you, Dr. Perkins, for allowing me to be a part of a conversation um, that has always been and will always be relevant and necessary uh, because, um, you know, we just have to recognize that, you know, resiliency is in our DNA uh, and that we we are born, especially females, we are born, uh, or black females, I should say, we are born with an unmatched strength, pride, and grace. Um, therefore, we need to just teach our young daughters that they never have to, to succumb to pressure to be successful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank um, you. This is Linnell from Pennsylvania, and... Um, I have a early a daughter in her early 20s. What I've had to um, share with her is I've had to teach her how to be that Renaissance woman, knowing that when she comes home, she is able to release. And it's unfortunate that in 2021 that I have to share this with her. But she um, just moved away to um, Atlanta, Georgia, and she mm-hmm. has had some experiences that if she were here in Pennsylvania, I could help her through those. But it, it's most challenging because she did have me in the home, so she could come home and speak the way that, you know, she would like to speak and release the way that she would normally like to release. But now that she is on her own, it, it's a steady teaching of how she has to present herself as a young African-American woman in corporate America versus how she has to and how she can let go when she's at home around her aunt or her mom or even her dad and, you know, her friends. And it's most unfortunate that in 2021 we still have to teach our daughters that, you know, they have to learn to navigate in certain spaces and how, where, you know, their white counterparts may not have to learn that. Mm-hmm. And so it's been it's mm-hmm. been really challenging in, in teaching her that. Now, I, I love that because she's evolving um, greater as a woman because she's learning these things. But, you know, at the same time, I feel, you know, a little disheartened because why should she have to? But, you know, she is, and I'm pleased with that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. um, Last night, I just want to share that there were, I mean, I'm hearing some parallels about um, how um, some of those conversations are, um, you know, some of the men last night said that they they regretted that they had to steal, just like you said, Latina, um, that there were, they regretted that they were still having the same conversation that their parents had to have with them. Um, and so, and, and also about um, the, um, the whole idea that there's a way you have to carry yourself. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm sure that 
it has a lot of stress associated with it of how you're going to send them out. Um, and so anybody have anything you want to share about like that, what that feels like? What, what, how does that really, you know, strike you that you're in this conversation and, and having to um, give this set of instructions? I don't want to monopolize, but I, I, this is Linnell again, and it's disheartening. It really is that I remember when I was a senior in high school and my mother had to come to the high school just a few times, but one of the times that I'll never forget is because my guidance counselor said to me when we were looking at colleges to attend and we were going through some things about my interest, and I said that I wanted to be a news broadcaster. And he said, no, because society will have a hard time distinguishing whether you're black or white. Well, that just completely flipped my mom out when I went home, you know, and told her, you know, well, Mr. Ramsey said I shouldn't do, you know, this. And so, you know, having here we are some 30 30 plus years later, and I have to share some of these things with my daughter about how people would perceive you. And that is so disheartening. But if I don't do that, I feel that I have not equipped her properly to go out and be the best, you know, person that she can be. But it is, it is extremely disheartening to have to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and this is Kim in Chicago, and I'm I'm the, I'm the mother of a 30 year old daughter and a uh, and a son, a 43, 45 year old son. So, and the what I learned early on that it really does take a village. Um, and in raising my daughter, it it was very. I, I felt like I was, you know, in in. Um, just treading, just you know, trying to keep my head above water because with my son I had, I had a village there in the house, and what I what I always knew, my grandmother would always say that you need to know something about everything and all, you know, and I knew that this daughter was going to have lots of questions, and I knew that I was going to have to have answers to these questions, and they were going to have to make sense to her because we learned early on that, you know, she. She was going to have some leadership qualities and some and a strong personality. So I knew that I was going to have to come. I was going to have to come correct when I talked to her. And so what I made what I made sure of is that I um, I didn't sugarcoat anything with her, but I also made sure that I had people in my immediate circle and in the family that if she couldn't talk to me about certain things, she would go and she could always talk to them, and I didn't have to worry about them guiding her the wrong way. And uh, what I also, in this day and time, what I also um, was, was, I was met with during college is that the talks that, there were different stages to my talks with her. And mm-hmm. I, there were levels of the talk. You know, there were the preschool, elementary levels, and then there was the high school levels and the college and the young, and then the young adults, when she got to college, I realized with everything going on, I too had to equip her with how to survive out here. And, mm-hmm. and so our talks went from 
you know, uh, sort of the talk that the dads have to give have to give their sons. You, you know, hey, if you ever pulled over, you, I know you have a I, you have a mouth, but you're going to have to control it and 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 uh, just just follow directions so that you can make it to your destination. But I, I mm-hmm. think it's just something mm-hmm. in me that to know that I had to, like you said, to to suppress something in her just to survive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I, this is, again, this is Latina from Alabama, and um, I uh, failed to mention I have a 35-year-old daughter and a 31-year-old son. And just to piggyback off of what Kim just said, yes, um, you know, of course there are different um, conversations that we have with our daughter versus our son, uh, sons. But however, um, it has really become very important that we have some of the same conversations with each of them. Uh, again, like she said, we cannot sugarcoat it. We just have to be, I mean, upfront, up in their face about it and talk with them enough that they can hear our voices uh, when they are faced uh, in situations where that could be the difference in them, you know, coming home alive or, or not. Uh, and we just, you know, we just need to, uh, again, I always tell mine that I'm not talking to you just to hear myself talk. I'm talking to you to um, to instill in you uh, a strong self-esteem, uh, uh, you know, and some independence to and uh, enough to to be able to make choices and good choices. Because again, like you said, just and especially in the um, the explosiveness and the the culture that we're in, just like right now, uh, just the Split second or just a a wrong thought for just a second can make a difference. And uh, again, you being here with me and not being here with me. So uh, Mm -hmm. again, you know, it's it's just, you know, we don't know it all, you know, as parents, uh, we just do the best that we can and try to Mm -hmm. uh, give them, like she said, some space uh, and some understanding and sometimes those those hard talks that you know sometimes you would you know rather that you didn't have to have but they're necessary and just like I said you know a few minutes ago they're relevant and they're necessary and in 2021 and probably in 2030 we'll still be having this conversation. Sure, sure, and you know I heard I heard you Kim say that. Um, you know, you had to you had to say some things that um, helped her understand how she needed to carry herself um, mm-hmm. out in public. And and so my question, and I'd love to hear from uh, from you. Uh, you know, all of you um, have, I mean, whether it's in the South or in the Northeast or in the Midwest, all of you I know to have. Um, are, are living in fairly urban areas. Um, and so what does that look like in terms of you, you know, the, the, them having the, the, the fortitude and wherewithal to not be afraid to let them go out 
um, and 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 yet they can go out and still um, be okay. What what's the kind of advice? I mean, like the real. Um, what do you say um, that that equips them? Um, so that they they do know how to deal with the police, and I, and I guess what I'm trying to get at is what's so different than so what what is it that you have to say to a young black girl that others don't necessarily have to say? Well, this is Linnell from Pennsylvania, and what I have to tell my daughter is um, when. <laughs> Make sure, and and it's sad because she is a young twenty-year-old, not not so young, but young twenty-year-old. And I have to say to her, um, please let us know where you are, and you know, please let us know who you're going with, and please let us know. And and the fortunate thing about that is that is something that we have done in the household, and so continuing that into her early twenties has not been very, very tough for us because even as she lived here when she graduated college, if we were going out, we would say, you know, we're stepping out, we'll be back as parents. And so for her to continue in that, it really, it was really comforting for us so that we would know where she was and who she was with in the event that something happened. Because absolutely, it, you know, you would love for them to just be able to go out and come back, you know, on their own. But it's it's too dangerous. It's far too dangerous. And like you said, I live in an urban area, and if you look at um, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, there was just a report saying that this city is probably one of the most dangerous cities in America for black women in terms of health, in terms of education, in terms of crime, it, in terms of um, the um, the um, birth mortality rate It is just awful In Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania Right now And so, you know, having taught her So many things I, I'm sure she's carrying those to Atlanta Because it is funny If she's going out somewhere And, you know, it's someplace new She'll text me or her dad And say, you know, I'm going to try this new spot Or whatever So it's a little different being away But she still has those those traits that she has carried on, you know, when she mm-hmm. moved. But it, it, it's so sad that mm-hmm. we have to. It's not even right. that you want to. I feel like we must. So mm-hmm. it, it's mm-hmm. sad. And I always it tell her you know, whenever, whenever I, this is Kim from Chicago again, and whenever she left the house or whatever, we, you know, always my thing was, you know, make sure you you know your friends. I mean, without a shadow of a doubt, make sure you know your friends. If you know, know who's in the car with you, know whose home you're going to, and 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 just you know, just know that they're more than likely. If a police pulls you over, or if you're somewhere and the police come in, that that it's not going to be anything on you, with you, or in you know in the in your vicinity that's going to just going that's going to escalate this. Just know your surroundings, know who you're with. And and uh, if you're like I said, if you're stopped, just just follow suit. Do what they ask. And and in the in the in the uh, time period of cell phones and everything, just just you know, tell Alexa, hey Alexa, turn on my recorder or something. You know, <laughs> just to mm-hmm. tape what's happening yeah. or something. But um, it's um, it's always no. My, my we've always stressed just 
know who you're with, really know your friends, and 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 uh, just follow suit. Okay. Sure. And so and I would say, what I'd I would, like to do. Sorry, go ahead. No, this is Latina from Alabama again. I was just going to piggyback again uh, uh, and say that, you know, I've just always tried to um, teach mine to be um, classy and respectful and always mindful of your surroundings and not to let your emotion, um, irregardless as to how um, wrong you know a situation might be, uh, whether, you know, you you know racism when it when it comes to you you know that so just don't let that situation cloud or your emotions get in the way and cloud your decision making skills mm-hmm. uh, again mm-hmm. so that you will be safe and stand. we can fight that battle later we can't fight it if you're not here so just just be mindful mm-hmm. again of your surroundings and your situation. And don't don't let your emotions get in your way of making good wise mm-hmm. decisions. Mhm. Mhm. And and so just if just to get you to reflect back on when you were um, young and coming up, um, and now you think about the way these you know I know there's a range here, and Quintina, I know you have younger girls, and and then we have them going all the way up to 35 in this in this conversation. Um, but looking back at them and where things were, as you saw, you know, them developing into womanhood, um, is it easier, or do you think it it got easier, or did it get more difficult? Were 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 the conditions on the ground more difficult to manage as a young black woman? Um, uh, you know, I, I think about, Janelle, what you just said about um, being, having a guidance counselor or someone at your school tell you you couldn't be what you could and couldn't be. How did you all manage that? And, Quintina, for you, how are you planning to manage that, to give them a sense of who they are despite the world telling them, that they're going, that they are somebody else. Like how how do you go about instilling that in them when there are a lot of messages out there, particularly for girls, that you can't do that. No, nope, that's not for you to do. How are you? How how are you? I know it's two different questions, but uh, just jump in on that. I, I it's um it it makes me really wonder has much changed. Yeah, so from Quintina here, I will jump in and I will say that um, younger daughters here, um, and and I often have to approach conversations with them from an angle that they are growing up very different than what I grew up. Um, I grew up in a single parent Mm -hmm. home. My mom was an educator. My father was three-time loser in jail a lot. And so for my girls, they are growing up um, in a two-parent home. We are both of uh, both parents were both, you know, educated, educators. Um, and so they are growing up very differently than I grew up. So they have more access mm-hmm. to things, more opportunity. You know, in education, we talk about opportunity versus achievement gap. My girls have many more opportunities than I had. The schools that they go to, um, the um, things that we expect 
expose them to. Um, and so the conversation is very different than the conversation, of course, that, that I had, but I still have to balance with them the um, while you have opportunity, you still have a responsibility to put forth effort and energy and focus and be mindful of this and be mindful of that. And you still have to give as much as I gave in order for me to achieve the things that I have achieved. So you don't have, you know, you may have privilege to some degree, but because of society, you still have work and effort that you must put in in order to achieve. You can't live off of the laurels and the benefits of your parents always. You have to, you know, get yours just as the same way that I got mine, you know. And so that is a conversation that um, my husband and I have with him often. My husband is uh, parents are from Jamaica, and so just his experience in rearing alone pushes them to earning. Like you have to earn things that you, you know, if you if you want a vehicle, it's not just parents are going to give this to you. You have to put some effort into the things that you want. And so um, while for me it was necessary, for them it may not be necessary, but it's still a lesson that we are pushing to teach them. And, Brian, this is Linnell from PA again. My experience is that I have had to be deliberate. I could I look back at my mother, and I have two other um, sisters, and then I have four brothers. But in raising my daughter, I have had to be very deliberate in teaching her about who she is, fitting into circles, but always maintaining and not losing herself. She attended one of the very few schools in um, Pittsburgh that – is not predominantly African-American because um, our district is 67% um, made up of black and brown children, but she attended an um, arts high school where then she became the minority in school. And so it was always deliberate in having to make certain that she was aware of who she was. She was aware of the differences in her and her um, non-African-American counterparts and not just making sure that she knew that she was, you know, just as good as, better than. Um, it was just deliberate. It just had to be deliberate. And I'm still finding that even now that I have to teach her because, as I said, she's graduated now to corporate America, and I'm still saying that, you know, my conversations with her are not just, I mean, you know, sometimes, of course, they're mom, daughter, and we can just, you know, laugh and have fun or look at, but even social media, the social media that she sees or seen growing up, the videos, it was always having to tell her who she was because someone was trying to tell her who she wasn't. And so, you know, even the black art, that's in our home, even the, you know, the Hey Black Child poem that hangs on the wall still in our hallway was deliberate Mm -hmm. so that when she woke up in the morning and, you know, came out of her bedroom door, 
that was the first thing she's seen other than, you know, her face in the mirror. But it was deliberate, and it's still deliberate. And I don't know that my mom had to experience that. Sure, sure. And this is this well, is those young, of you who are who have uh, started listening, um, we are already well into our conversation with black mothers of black daughters, um, and we're just talking about the the kinds of conversations that um, these mothers are having with their daughters to um, to prepare them to be able to deal with American society, and so if. Someone out there may have a question. Feel free to call in. The number is 657-383-1481. Again, 657-383-1481. I want to pivot just a moment. Um, as I mentioned in the beginning, I um, wanted to play. Uh, we had some technical difficulty. I wanted to play the, the song by Beyonce, Brown Skin Girl, um, uh, you know, there's not there haven't been a lot of of songs and movies you know we were seeing more of that now, but historically that celebrated black women in a way that was uh honorable and 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 spoke to uh not just their beauty but their brains and their their character and their strength and um i I do want to talk a little bit first about the whole idea about self-image. And I I heard what you were saying, Linnell, about um, what they saw on social media and what they see, what they saw in videos and what have you. And so I'm reminded of what I I often refer to, people in my family know I've told the story, I've told the story in my classrooms too, um, at the graduate level of what I call the Barbie doll dilemma. And it was with my first daughter, um, and um, she would never remember this, but she was about three years old. And um, I took her, never will forget, took her to the store, the department store, Walmart or somewhere, and um, to get her a Barbie doll. And so unlike the earlier versions of Barbie doll, the Barbie dolls came in a lot of different shades. And I distinctly uh, remember how when we came um, to the Barbie doll, she uh, she said uh, she wanted the white Barbie doll. And not to pressure her, I just, you know, well, why? look at this one. Look at that. I'm showing her the black Barbie doll, and she just would have nothing of it. And this was about three years old, maybe a little younger. And so she had nothing of it. Don't want it. No, don't want that. And I said, look at this, look at her hair, look at her nose, just like you. She's beautiful, just like you. No, I want the white one. I want the white one. I like this one. And I said, why? Why do you like that one more? And she said to me, it's prettier. And, of course, I was crushed because everything that had been done to that point, just like you said, Linnell, uh, pictures of, of black images of black lives and and um, little kente cloth dolls um, before that time. The play school had a whole series that were in kente cloth. The the rattles she had was in kente cloth and all kinds of stuff to help her know that she came from something to celebrate. And yet and still, at three years old, the concept she had that came from 
from outside of her house was that the white dog was prettier. So what I'd like to hear from you about is, like, how did you deal with self-concept? What did you have to say? Because we know what the images are that are presented of black women, black people out there. What did you do to battle that, um, that those images and to help them develop healthy senses of self? Well, I, this is Kim from Chicago, and I'll jump in by saying is that I had just the opposite. Uh, my daughter never wanted a white doll. She always wanted um, a, do- a dolls with uh, with some melanin. And uh, I, I attribute that to also uh, from early on, age three, uh, in dance, made sure she was always in multicultural um, surroundings, uh, at home, you know, every black art, black movies, you know, mm-hmm. just immersed her in that, mm-hmm. that she knew, you know, she knew uh, I'm, I'm just as good as they are. But I can truly say that she never went to the white dolls. She always went to the dolls of color. And I and I and I can really I, I really think that is because of the multicultural environment that um, um, we always made sure she was involved in. And, right. and, there and, and what I'm teachers. saying, there were and some strong sure. there were some strong teachers in those environments that that sure. really drilled drilled the, the young black girls that they were beautiful uh, and they could mm-hmm. do anything that they wanted to do. Yeah. So, so what I'm hearing you say is that there was more reinforcement too. So not only was she got at home, she got it outside of home as well. Exactly. Um, because mm-hmm. because that was definitely the case in terms of what she saw. As I said, she saw that. Um, um, so what about what about the rest of you? What what have you done uh, to to promote a, a real high sense? I think for me with with the young girls, I think um, I just think about the beauty that we are getting to see in black culture just with females now, African-American females embracing natural hair. You know, but in, mm-hmm. when I grew up, that wasn't always the case. You know, it was more assimilating. Like we had to have straight hair mm-hmm. because you, you know, you fit in better. And so, even with my girls, both of them are like would have, have would have nothing to do right now with hair relaxers. They're very proud and they have thick, beautiful curls. You know, and and so I think that there are so many other projections of images when you think of Amanda Gordon or. Um, one of the books that I read to them when they were young was Obama's book to um, to his daughters. And so I just think that they are not only um, what you do at home, but even the things that they see. And when they want to uh, emulate those things, giving them the space, like investing, you know, um, investing in make if if it's natural hair they want and you know i'm i'm right there making sure that they can have what they need and still you know mm-hmm. um be presentable and and it's you're beautiful you're beautiful in your skin you're beautiful this way and just again just um making sure that they can 
have the opportunity and access it and keeping, you know, these things alive and well before them. And also to another another colleague who spoke about um, environment matters, so even school choice, you know, the churches that we attend, mm-hmm. you know, making sure that it mm-hmm. is just a cultural experience. Um, beyond our house, but in other opportunities. And um, even if you are the only um, black person of color in your space, you own that. You own that. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and be proud about that, you know, be proud about, about who you are because you belong wherever mm-hmm. you are. Right. And, mm-hmm. and this is Kim again. I, I was thinking of another example of always knowing, um, you know, proud of who she who she was, is you know, Kobe was a, uh, my daughter was a dancer, and I can recall nights before performances and dress rehearsals, the days before dress rehearsals, she would be here dyeing her, her leotards, her tights, and and uh, makeup, you know, brown makeup on her point shoes. I'm like, what are you doing? She says, I'm dyeing these the color of my skin. I'm not pink. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So you know, mm-hmm. and I was you know, and and she had other girls in the dance troupe doing the same thing, and um, and it started. They started something. They would dye their tights and mm-hmm. shoes before performances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so this now this is Linnell from Pennsylvania, and that it's funny because Raven is a dancer as well, and so we had the opposite experience. Um, in her high school where, and we all know on this call that um, weave, <laughs> hair weave is a billion-dollar business in this country, and women, African-American women, sure um, wear their fair share of hair weave. But it was the bun issue for us. It was the bun issue with, you know, the bun having to look like and, you know, curl under like, um, you know, her the white counterparts in her school. And so I just had to have a conversation with her dance teacher and say to her, her bun, because she has natural hair and we weren't going to straighten it for so that her bun could look like her white counterpart. So that's when I had to step in and have a conversation with the dance teacher. And then it escalated to the principal because there was a ballet number that um, she was going to be in but they were not going to allow her to be in that number if she did not have a smooth bun. And that was awful. It was it, so to tr- so we tried to keep a lot of that away from Raven in terms of um the why why they want your hair this way, but, you know, fighting on the other end saying she she earned this spot. She's going to have this spot no matter if she gets on that stage in an afro. And so that had to be our fight. And, you know, we, mm-hmm. we, we took up the fight, and, you know, she ended up ultimately not with a, um, you know, bun. <laughs> she had a puff, and she was, you know, that sure, dancer sure. in that ballet number. But it was it was it sure. was indeed, unfortunately, a fight. Mm-hmm. I hear uh, Chantel. I thought you were trying to get in on that. Yes, yeah, so I just basically instilled in my daughter, Fiara. She's nineteen. That she was beautiful, and there's nothing out there more beautiful than her. And mm-hmm. don't let nobody tell you different. And that's it. <laughs> 
Well, you know, um, to that point, uh, you know, a lot of times as we have been upwardly mobile and, you know, we, you know, so we, most of us are in, in situations where we've moved outside of the places where we grew up usually and we are, um, we have, we, we have put our kids in schools and, 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 very often they are in the minority um, where they go to school. And so what do you, I mean, and especially when there are teachers that don't look like them, um, what advice do you have for, for other women about what to do in those situations? Like what, what, what's the best thing you think um, to do when they, you know that they're going to be faced with these situations where you're putting them in environments where they are uh, in the minority. Um, wh- what advice do you have for other mothers that are coming along at, uh, about what to do? This is Linnell from I'm Pennsylvania. Sorry. Again. I'm sorry. That's okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I heard someone would ask me a question. I asked what was the question. I didn't hear what you said. Sorry. No, no. I was saying what what advice do you have? You know, when we when we take our girls out of environments that we that we're familiar with, uh, that we grew up with, and now they're in places that we don't have a lot of experience with as young people. You know, like how to how to navigate that. And so what advice do you have for other parents uh, that, are, that are in similar situations where they've moved on to, you know, kind of the, the integrated neighborhoods and the places, just like what you, you said, Kim, the places where um, they're doing dance and people are not necessarily sensitive to the choices that are being made, like what they call flesh-colored stockings or, you know, what have you. So what what advice do you have for them um, uh, in, in terms of helping to, should they should they try to enlist um, the help of non-black um, teachers and others? Um, you know, I, I guess what I, what I wonder is how can we, how can we help other uh, parents and mothers who um, are are struggling with the same kinds of issues that you you've been through? Um, what what is the kind of advice, the kind of parting advice you give them as your your children are moving up and out of the way, and theirs are coming um, uh, are coming along? Brian, that's a loaded question. Um... Yeah. I, 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 the advice that I can give, like, uh, um, I was very involved. I was involved uh, in, in school and PTO from, from kindergarten through, through high school. Uh, I'm still involved in PTO. And I think as, a, as parents coming up, I think that they're going to have to get back to the point where they are, like, 
immer- immersed in their kids' lives, and 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 they're going to have to be make time to go up to the schools and see what's going on, and um, and and be their child's strongest advocates. Uh, um, I see, you know, everybody is busy. You know, we're in the microwave age, and, and everything is, is, is you push a button and and it's done. I think we're just going to, the parents coming up are going to have to be more involved in all aspects, in schools, in sports, uh, you know, hobbies, everything. They're just going to have to become more involved and uh, be their child's strongest advocate. Mm-hmm. This is Linnell mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania, and I couldn't agree more. It, uh, parents must be engaged. They must be engaged. They must be vigilant. And it, even at the beginning of this call, one of the moms said she leaves a space, a common space in the home, that if her daughter um, you know, needs to speak, then she's there because we're not shutting ourselves away because we work you know, 40, 50 hours a week and now we're tired and don't have, you know, the mental capacity to have that conversation that our daughter may need to have. And so we must, we have to remain engaged and, as I said, vigilant and always, you know, leaving the door open for them to to have that those tough conversations. And absolutely, there is no greater advocate for our daughters than us. And until they you know, can can have their own voice, but absolutely an engaged mm-hmm. parent. <laughs> that that's the key yeah. to be engaged. Yeah. I'll just yeah. really um, grew up in, a, in an environment where they were the majority in their school. Mm. However, mm-hmm. I think um, majority or minority or wherever whatever category you may fall in. Again, yes, you know, you need that parental involvement, but, I, you know, I just think if they know their worth and you teach them to be the best that they can be, it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, they're mm-hmm. going to be, you know, faced, you know, like I say, if they're the minority, they're going to be faced with some situations that they may not be, you know, faced with uh, if they're the majority. Again, but if you know your worth and just be the best that you can be in all situations, you will be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was going to just Thank jump you. in here and say this is a lesson that I am learning, um, and it is to value their voice. I am a, 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 a very strong female I, I, in the profession that I work in. I can talk a whole lot, you know, and have a lot to say and trying to convince them and encourage them and motivate them. But I am having to learn to listen and teach them through my actions that their voice is valuable, even in my space, in my life, you know. And so um, so sometimes for me it's listening more than I am speaking. You know, and then Mm -hmm. being very intentional and deliberate when I speak, um, because if I'm telling them you're important, your voice is valuable, when you go out that door, then I have to demonstrate that and model that in my home, even with my husband and I Mm -hmm. listening to them. Again, creating Mm -hmm. the time and space, but listening sometimes more than I speak, you know, um, adds you know, credence and value to the things that they have to say. And I'm telling you, 
this is a lesson for me because when that when mm-hmm. they're talking, you know, you want to get in as much as you can because you feel like everything is a teachable moment, right? So right, right. <laughs> Yeah, and, yeah. And, and that right. is so true. I, too, had to learn how to – I'm just a strong, you know, just a strong individual, period. And I, I learned early on with her that I was going to have to shut up sometimes and, and, and listen. And uh, because I could – there were times that, you know, I would just go on and on and on, and I, and I would look over there at her, and I knew she wasn't hearing anything that I was saying. And I, too, had to learn to listen. And uh, it, it seems to have worked. I, I tell everybody, I've, tell, I've told a couple of my friends, uh, when she went away her sophomore year in college, I got this call one morning. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning, and I knew she was at a party. And she just said, Ma, nothing's wrong, thanks. And I said, okay. And so I lay there in the bed. And I was like, what is she thinking? What, what was that about? And when she came home, I was like, cool. you know, what was that about? She said, just thank you. She says, I really, really listened to you. Thank you. Wow. Well, that is that is absolutely. Go ahead. I was going to say, I heard someone going... out, and you have to mm-hmm. yeah. communicate with them, let them know that there's nothing they cannot come to you with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Correct. Well, well, thank you all. This has been very helpful, I know, and it's certainly informative. Um, And I I can't, I know that there are people out there who um, have have benefited from this. And um, I appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to, to just share with us. All of the, I mean, some really great nuggets of uh, advice um, for our parents and 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 even uh, teachers and others that are out there that are that are faced with uh, educating um, diverse populations, and they need to understand um, what our what our girls are are faced with, and and so just thank you for sharing and being so open and transparent. So I hope all of you who have been listening in for the past week have enjoyed it. This was a great way um, to end our week. Um, And so we have more coming uh, in the weeks. Uh, Thank you all for being here and, and being attentive. Until next time, go well, stay well. Take care, everybody.